But Psalm 61, starting at verse 1, simply says to the chief musician upon Neganah, a psalm of David, Hear my cry, O Lord. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, everybody say overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. Luke chapter 8 and verse 22 says, Now it came to pass on a certain day that when he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Father, we love you this morning. We know that you love us. And Lord, your love for us is difficult for us to comprehend, but we thank you for that love this morning. Lord, I pray that as we minister in this place, that you would anoint this vessel, God, that you'd open our hearts, and Lord, that that love that is so hard for us to comprehend would flood this house. Lord, that it would strengthen, that it would reassure, that it would do what only you can do, Lord Jesus, we pray. And Lord, we ask you for those that aren't well, pray for Brother Fiston and others that might be sick, that you touch their bodies, raise them up and heal them in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen, amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. I've never been much of a sailor. I don't mind boats, but I like boats that when you're on them, you can still see land. Because I figure if it goes down, I know which way to swim. In some churches, and I'm kind of grateful not here, the men's ministry, some of our brothers and sisters, or brothers on the East Coast, for an activity, they go out deep sea fishing. That's, that's out there. That's where everything around you is all water. And that's, most of the men are not sailors, so they spend most of the journey going out, hanging over the side of the boat, feeding the fish, and some of the journey coming back doing the same thing. So if nothing else is achieved, the fish get fed that day. But that's not my idea of a good day, because I know there's some pretty big critters that swim around out there, and uh, I have no desire to be consumed by one of them. But... uh, Some of the disciples that Jesus called were fishermen. And in their culture, the usual pattern was that you inherited the trade of your father before you when you were a young man. So their fathers were fishermen. It's likely that their fathers' fathers and so on were fishermen. And so men like Peter and James and John and Andrew grew up around the edge of the sea. They grew up around boats. They They knew what it was to walk on a timber deck at a very young age. And I don't know if they taught them to swim. It would seem to make sense, but I don't have any scripture that says they learned how to swim. But it wasn't strange to them. You know, they talk about having sea legs. In other words, getting used to being on a boat or a ship when it 
rocks backwards and forwards and up and down. And the sailors get what they call their sea legs where they're able to keep their balance. If it was me, I'd be being fallen this way and I'd be fallen that way. But these men were used to being on the water. They were no strangers to the Sea of Galilee. For them, it was pretty much like their backyard. And they weren't strangers to the weather patterns that it experienced. A bit of wind and a bit of rain was not a big deal. In fact, they'd probably been through many, many storms. So when it says in our text in Luke that the ship was filled with water and that the disciples were convinced that they were going to perish, it wasn't just a late afternoon sun shower. It was a storm. Uh, They were in fear for their lives and they used all of the experience that they had to guide the ship, to try to keep it on course. They Sometimes they talk about facing into the storm and different techniques trying to keep the boat upright. But even with all of their skill, it was too much for them. And when you read this account in the Gospel of Luke, which we just read, it says they were filled with water. Matthew's account says that the ship was covered by the waves. Mark wrote that the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. You don't have to be a sailor to understand that the water is not meant to be inside the ship. If the the thing is full of water, it's not a good situation. And there is a great difference between being in a ship in a storm and the storm being in the ship. And this morning I want to preach from that thought of what happens or when the storm is in the ship. Amen. The waves and the wind had so savagely crashed on this little vessel that the disciples thought they were going to die. But in the belly of that ship. I don't know how big it was. I don't know if there was a cabin. I don't know much about it all. But in that ship was not a fisherman, but the son of a carpenter who was asleep in a storm. You know anybody that can sleep through anything? That's me and brother Jonathan. We we can sleep through anything. My wife will say, did you hear the rain last night? And I'll say, did it rain last night? Because once I'm gone, I'm gone. Amen, Brother Jonathan? That's you and me, bro. The Bible says the Lord gives his beloved sleep. I think it says that in there somewhere. But the, the, the Lord somehow was asleep in the midst of this storm. He was possibly just as wet as they were. And yet still he was asleep. And they woke him with the news that they were all about to die. And it appeared that he didn't care. Master, we perish. We perish. And he got up and maybe stretched and rubbed his eyes once or twice and found his way to the bow of the boat and he rebuked the wind and the waves and instantly they were still instantly there was calm the sea was like glass amen you see it is one thing to go through a storm in a warm dry place in a secure house to listen to the wind beat upon the roof the rain, sorry, beat upon the... I, I didn't, where I grew up, we didn't have tiles roofs like this so common here. We had tin roofs. So when it was a storm, it was like somebody playing the drums on the roof of your house. I loved that sound when I was a kid. I loved to lie in bed and listen to the rain hammer down on the metal roof. But you see, the reason was I wasn't responsible for the house or the roof. I wasn't worried where the leaks were going to come in or if the windows were going to hold or how much water was going to build up in the backyard. I was just... A child, but as you become responsible for a house, you start thinking, I hope the house is going to hold. I hope the fence doesn't blow over. Our old house in Marangaroo, we had a storm. The fence 
the ground was uneven between the, our neighbor's yard and our yard, and the fence just snapped off and blew down. The house we live in now is not a good advertisement for our ability to choose good houses. But once the rain gets to a certain level in our house, my wife and I start looking at the usual places where the water comes in because we're responsible for the house. We know that if it keeps up, that that door over there is going to need some towels along the bottom and that bit of carpet out the front and the lounge room might end up damp by the morning. Amen. But if you're inside the house, if you've ever been through a severe storm, and where I grew up, there are cyclones, and some of you have experienced hurricanes and maybe typhoons in the Philippines, and there's different names for them in different places, but at the end of the day, they're all savage storms. They're all storms with huge amounts of water and incredibly high-speed winds that are destructive, and the noise alone can be terrifying. But as long as everything stays outside, it's okay. You get up in the morning and maybe the yard's a bit of a mess and there's some junk being thrown around and, and you think, oh, wow, that was a rough night. But, but you slept in a warm, dry bed and everything was okay. In the 61st Psalm, there are some different opinions about the context of David's writing. But it seems that David was quite likely fleeing for his life in the middle of what we would call a coup an attempted takeover of the kingdom, a rebellion, somebody trying to dethrone him prematurely by his own son, Absalom. David was a warrior. We're introduced to David as just a young boy, as a shepherd boy, and his first, I guess, great act is the defeat of the giant Goliath, whereas just an adolescent, he goes out into a valley, faces off with a fearsome, colossal warrior while all the seasoned soldiers are hiding behind the rocks and the trees, shaking in their boots. This young man goes out and with faith in the power of the name of his God, defeats their enemy. And it goes on to tell us he'd already beaten a lion and a bear. I've always had trouble understanding how looking after the sheep was supposed to be the girl's job. And yet David's out there killing bears and lions. They must have had some tough girls back then. Not that any of you ladies couldn't handle that. That's not what I'm saying. But he was a warrior. If you read on in his life, you'll see there are other battles. There are other giants that he kills. But this is different because he's not fighting Philistines. He's not fighting Amalekites. He's not dealing with hideous giants. But the storm is in his own home. And so you read, when you read this passage again in 61, Psalm 61 verses 1 to 3, you read it quite possibly from the point of view of a father whose own son is betraying him. And he says, God, hear my prayer. He said, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, because my heart is overwhelmed. His heart felt, in his heart, he felt like the disciples in the ship. He was becoming covered with water. He was in a place where he didn't feel like he could survive any longer. But he said, I know there's a rock that's higher than I am and he said you've been a shelter for me and you've been a strong tower and he said um David I believe was probably feeling lower than he ever had before because if it was another enemy he would have taken his sword he would have taken his shield and his 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 spear and he would have just killed him but it was his son the storm was in his own home amen some of you've heard me tell the story but when I was a boy 
I was once in a situation where I felt like I was going to drown. It wasn't my fault. Um, but I was aware that I was drowning, and there wasn't much that I could do about it. It was a terrifying feeling. Unfortunately, obviously, somebody saved me because I'm not an apparition. I'm here today. David was like that. David felt like he was drowning, and there was nothing that he could do. His own, I mean, how do you fight your own son? How do you go to war against somebody that you saw take his first steps, that you saw learn to do things and progress from infancy to adolescence to being an incredibly attractive and gifted young man? David had hit rock bottom. He'd hit the very bottom. But fortunately, when you hit the bottom, he wrote, David wrote in Psalm 18 and 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom will I trust, my buckler, or that's a shield, and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. And what I believe God wants to speak to somebody or somebody's this morning is that if your heart is overwhelmed, if you feel like you're going down for the last time, you don't have the answers, the storm has got into your ship, there is still a rock that is higher. There is still a strong tower that you can run into. There is still a God that hears the cry of the broken. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to go through storms. That's what life involves. Amen. And sometimes we can tough it out because it's at a safe distance. We're okay. It's been rough, but we're warm and we're dry. And then there are times when that storm is no longer on the outside at a safe distance, at arm's length. It's not your job anymore where you can come home and get away. It's not school where somebody might be giving you a hard time where you can come home and put it out of your mind for a while. It's not something that you're able to compartmentalize and put away for a while, but it's in your home. It's, I'm not necessarily talking about your natural home today. I'm talking about things of any nature that can get behind your guard. Things that find a way into your personal life, natural or spiritual. And there's wind and rain coming in through the windows and you don't know how to stop it. You know, when I sit in my house and we get a storm here in Perth, if that roof fell in, we've had a bit of our ceiling fall in, but not the whole, if that whole roof fell in, I wouldn't know the first thing to do. I can deal with a little hole, but if the whole roof caved in, I'd be like, what do you do now? I'd probably call Smokey and say, how many tarps have you got in the shed, bro? I need them all. But when the roof falls in and the storm's in the house, we don't know what to do. We become discouraged. We begin to lose hope. You see, when you read the Psalms, we, we talk about David's worship and being a man after God's own heart, but he knew what it was to feel despair. He knew what it was to feel like he had no hope. He knew what it was in one of the Psalms to look at the wicked and say, God, when I look at them, it seems like everything's going right for them. Everything they do, everything turns to gold. They're getting wealthy. They're getting having this benefit and that benefit. I'm over here serving you and everything's upside down and pear-shaped. And he said, when I looked at their prosperity, my foot, he said, almost slipped. I nearly lost my balance. I nearly fell off the path because of what I observed. But then he said, but then when I came into your house 
I came into the tabernacle and I considered what their end is going to be. And I considered what my end is going to be. He said, I knew that I was still in the right place. That's why this morning, one of the reasons it's so important for you to be in God's house, because you're out there all week and everybody's saying everything. But when I come into this house, he starts saying what matters. And I remember that when my heart is overwhelmed, hallelujah, oh hallelujah. The word tribulation or affliction is translated from a Greek word. Some of you have heard me explain this before. That means pressure. Pressure. When an object is crushed under pressure, it's because the pressure within the object, or rather the pressure without the object, is greater than the pressure within. It reaches a point where it can't resist anymore. And as the pressure increases, it crumples. If you've ever seen any of those deep sea fish, they show you photos of the National Geographic sometimes or in some documentary. Ugly looking things. Weird looking fish. They find way, way down where there's no natural light. These things with big sets of teeth and a light bulb hanging off the front of their head. All sorts of weird looking fish. And you know, they have a really hard time studying those fish because their bodies, the physical makeup of those fish is that with their internal pressure is so great because they have to be able to survive at such a depth that when they bring that fish to the surface, all of a sudden there's very little external pressure anymore. The fish almost literally explodes. Who knew? Exploding fish. But because the balance is gone. The balance is gone. Amen. You see, pressure is that's why when you and I swim, we can only go down so far without equipment. Because the, our ears, particularly, are not able to take too much pressure. And when, you, when you, you dive down deep, you begin to feel the pressure in your ears. And if you're sensible, you won't go too far. Because we're not made to take that kind of pressure. And science is not my forte. I did attend a few classes at school. Some of them I even paid attention. But pressure, in its simple sense, is the amount of force that is applied over a given area of space. So how much force is being applied taking into account how much space? I'm going to use Moses because he loves me and if I hurt him, he won't hate me. Come here, Mo. Come stand up here. Don't try this at home. Okay, this is a safety disclaimer. This is my iPad. It only weighs about half a kilo. I put that on Moses' head. There's not a lot of pressure there. But if I start to push... And push, he's a strong young man, that's why I chose him. I'm applying force, but that force is being spread out over the size of my iPad cover. Now, if I was to take a six-inch nail, I haven't got one, that's what, no. No animals were harmed in the making of this film. If I was to take a six-inch nail and apply the exact same amount of force, Moses might not be so comfortable. Because the same force is now focused on the tip of a nail, which would probably break his skin. I imagine he'd shout out something and take off before he got too far. Thanks, bro. You can sit down. But see, that's the thing about pressure when it's spread out over a period of, of time or over, over of space. 
We can handle a certain amount of pressure. You've got somebody on the job that's giving you a hard time about being a Christian. It's at work. You, you can probably deal with that for a period of time. You've got some struggles that, you know, that they're not too pointed. There's no laser focus. You can handle that kind of pressure. But then something happens in our lives that gets behind the guard, that gets inside the ship, that gets into our homes, into our families, into our hearts. And it's like a six-inch nail. The pressure comes and it hurts. And you feel like you're crumbling under the weight and under the pressure and it can knock us. It could be anything. It could be something happens in your family. It could be a loved one who walks away from God. You might start to have doubts about the truth of God's word. You, you might have a leader that you look to that walks away. There are lots of, it could be a sickness. It seems to be getting worse and worse and you keep praying and God doesn't heal. It could be anything. But you're trying to trust God, but there is a focus point of pressure. The storm is in the ship. Hallelujah. Jesus said in John 16 and 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. He said, In the world you shall have tribulation. That two statements seem to be like he's got his wires crossed. He said, I'm telling you this stuff so you can have peace, but you're going to have tribulation. He said, But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, said, You have got little children. You've overcome them. Why? Because greater is He that is in you than He that's in the world. No matter how much pressure comes, He's greater. Not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my Spirit saith the Lord, and if I'm filled with His Spirit, there is no weapon formed against me shall prosper. There is no pressure that can push down on me, even if it's inside the ship, because there's something in me that is greater. If I'll trust Him, if I walk in His Spirit, I can begin to push back and say, not today. I'm not going to give in. I'm feeling the pressure. I'm feeling the push. But He that's in me is greater than he that's in the world. Hallelujah. That's why in that verse there's no measurement. It doesn't say he that's in you is this level of greatness. It just says he's greater. That means whatever comes, however much is pressing down on me, he's greater. You see, the world surrenders to sin. It's easily overcome by the pressure that the God of this world applies because there's nothing inside to withstand they crush like an empty can of Coke because there's nothing in them that can resist. But when I have the Holy Ghost, hallelujah, Jesus said, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have it. You're going to have pressure. There's going to be things come. The storm is going to sometimes get from outside to the inside. He said, but be of good cheer. Have peace. I've overcome the world. You've got me in you. Hallelujah. We have a greater force than this world has. Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7, I love this verse of Scripture, said we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? That the excellency of the power maybe of God. None of us, that word excellency means something that goes beyond the normal. It means something that's greater than average, something that's thrown further. If you look into the meaning of that word, 
that power that's in us. People look at you, you're just a clay pot. I don't have a problem with that. I'm just an earthen vessel. But there's something in me that if I will trust him, it goes beyond. It goes further. People say, how will you stand? How did you get through that? How were you able when that came into your house, into your family, into your situation, when that storm came into your ship? There's power in my vessel that when I'm weak, he's strong. Hallelujah. That when I sit in darkness, the prophet said, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Rejoice not against me. Am I an enemy? Because when I fall, I shall arise. I'm going to get up again because greater is he that is in me. Somebody needs to believe that this morning. Somebody needs to lift their hands and say, God, I've got your spirit inside of me. You're greater. Hallelujah. So when the devil comes against you and he tells you you're weak, you can say, yep, I am. When he says, you've done this in the past, you can say, yep, I have. He can say, you're going to do it again. You can say, no, there I'm going to have to draw a line. Because those things, they're under the blood. And that weakness that you're pointing out, oh, it's there. But he said that through my weakness, his strength is made perfect. And if I'll trust in him, it doesn't matter what the devil says. It doesn't matter what waves and wind come. Greater is he. That is in me. Hallelujah. I believe I'm talking to somebody this morning. <coughs> First Kings, I want to move on a little bit quickly. First Kings chapter 16. Verses 30 and 31. These verses might not seem important, but they set some of the scene I want to draw your attention to. It says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. How would you like that in your resume? You're more wicked than anybody that's come before you. Came to pass as, it, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, as if he wasn't wicked enough already. That he took to wife. He married a girl by the name of Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. This is a man who's a king of the nation of Israel. Ethbaal means that Baal is with him. Baal is a false, idle, wicked god that these people worshipped, and unfortunately Israel struggled with their worship of as well. King of the Zidonians. Jezebel was his daughter. You want to talk about a storm. That woman was uh, storm-packed in the dress. She put so much trouble into the nation of Israel. She brought so much wickedness and heartache and chaos. She even had Elijah the prophet terrified. And if you jump across to the next chapter, 1 Kings chapter 17, Israel is suffering the consequences of the wickedness of Ahab and Jezebel. There's a drought. I'm saying a drought. It wasn't just, you know, it hadn't rained for a few days. It was a drought that was causing people to die from lack of water and food. Verse 1 says, Elijah the Tishbite, that's the prophet who was the of, of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall be no Jew, not even Jew, in the morning, 
nor rain these years, but according to my word. The word of the Lord came unto him, unto Elijah, saying, Get thee hence, turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. Shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, hadn't dried up yet. I've commanded the ravens to feed thee there. This was Uber Eats back in the Old Testament. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Everything was going okay. Things were bad in the country, but he had a full belly and his thirst was quenched. But then it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose, went to Zarephath, and when he was come to the gate of the city, behold, a widow woman was there gathering of sticks. He called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. He was exhausted. He was dehydrated. He was at the end of his strength. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Also bring me, I pray thee, a morsel, just a little bit, just a mouthful of bread in your hand. And that was one step too far. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I don't have a cake. When he got a handful of meal, ground grain in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise or a small bottle, Behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first. Bring it unto me and after make for thee and for thy son. I imagine the lady was thinking, Did you not hear what I just said? Did you not hear a word that just came out of my mouth? I said, I've got a handful of meal. I'm going to make a little cake. My son are going to eat it. We're going to lie down and wait to die of thirst and starvation. Sometimes the word of God comes and it can seem inconsiderate. It can seem to be contrary to circumstance and environment. Still the word of God. And Elijah said, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of all fail unto the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of on, on the word of a prophet, on the word of a man of God. She had nothing else to trust, but she went, cooked the last meal she had, and gave it to him. And it says that, and she and he and her house did eat many days. The barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Every day when she went back to that barrel, miraculously, it wasn't overflowing. The Lord didn't fill the pantry with lots of barrels, but every day she went back, there was enough to keep them going. Every day she emptied that thing into a mixing bowl, made some bread, went back, and what do you know, it was there again the following morning. Prophet was desperate. He was weak. He was thirsty. He was hungry. And God did this incredible miracle, and many of us have heard it preached about time and time again, but one of the things, and some of you have heard me say this before, is that God deliberately sent Elijah to Zarephath. And the Scripture tells us specifically that it belongs to Zidon. Where was Jezebel from? Where was her father, the king? He's the king of the Zidonians. Elijah was surrounded by a storm 
that there was the product of a wicked Baal-worshipping princess, the daughter of a wicked Baal-worshipping king. He's on his last legs. He wasn't saying, I'm a little peckish, could you bring me something to eat? He was at the point of collapse. Don't tell me that his heart wasn't overwhelmed. But where did God send him to get relief? Right smack bang in the middle of the problem. Sent him right back. He didn't say, well, go to Bethlehem, because that's the house of bread. Didn't say, go to Nazareth. Didn't say, go to any one of these other Israel towns or cities or villages. He sent him right back into the middle of the storm. David said in Psalm 23 and 5, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. The psalmist did not write, You got rid of my enemies. And then we ate. But he said, in the middle of the storm, in the presence of mine enemies, when I was at the end of my strength, you laid a table. That oil that speaks of, of cleansing and anointing and refreshing. Right in the middle of Elijah's storm, God said, even though you don't think this makes sense, I can feed you. I can feed you in the middle of the storm when the water's in the ship. I can feed you. The same psalmist said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. That means he's right there. He's not nearby. You don't have to run down the street. You don't have to pick up the phone when you're in trouble. He's very present. There's an emphasis on how close that he is. Amen. I want to, I want to say something. I hope you don't misunderstand me this morning. You are going to have times. When the storm gets in the ship, you will. When your heart is overwhelmed and when you feel like you're going down for the last time, and it will often come from where you least expect it because that way you are least prepared for it and you will be overwhelmed. I know that I do. Do not get the idea that because I'm the pastor, I get to stand up here with the microphone that everything's sunshine and happiness. I get storms. They come in my ship more often than you understand. And I want to say this. I believe it's okay to acknowledge it when you're overwhelmed. I do not agree with this mindset that some people have that when I'm having a hard time, it's like, oh, God, he's awesome. And nothing's ever going wrong. And there's a difference between faith and fakeness. David was happy to acknowledge that his heart was overwhelmed. But the end of that statement was a comma, not a full stop, because he said, when my heart is overwhelmed, comma, lead me to a rock that is higher than I, because you've been my shelter, you've been my strong tower, you've been my refuge, you've been everything that I've needed. And what we have to get to as the children of God is that it's not how I feel that matters. It's what I know that matters. Hallelujah. David said, this is how I'm feeling. I feel miserable. I don't know what to do. I've got an enemy that's come out of my own family. He said, but I still know that when I'm feeling like that, God, there's a rock 
There's something I can hang on to that is higher than I. I want you to stand with me this morning if I could have a musician, please. God forbid that we should be so concerned about looking like we're victorious that we're suffering and not willing to say, God, I need you. I don't think it honors God when we just pretend the world's a perfect place and we just come to the house of the Lord and somebody says, how you doing? I'm awesome, I'm victorious. When inside you're falling apart. But at the same time, the flip side of that is I don't think God wants us to just be telling everybody I'm falling apart and it's hopeless and God can't do anything and, and not be encouraged. That's the other extreme. The middle ground is, yes, my heart is overwhelmed. But God. But God. And this morning, if you can identify with David's words when he said, when my heart is overwhelmed, and you're feeling that this morning, I want to encourage you with these altars that are open if you just want to splash over to a sleeping cup and the sun and say, Lord, I'm perishing. Don't you care? Let him stand up, speak to your storm this morning. Some things he'll bring you out of, other things he'll bring you through. But either way, the refuge is in the house this morning. The strong tower is here. The rock that we can look to that is higher than I, that shelter you know, he's our hiding place, the Bible says. There's sometimes you just want to hide. Don't hide from him, though. Hide in him. Hallelujah.